Well, this is a joyful morning, isn't it? Already we've had a great time of worship. I invite you to join me in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 this morning where we are going to look at a joyful song in verses 9 and 10. Revelation 5 verses 9 and 10. A heavenly song of praise that echoes throughout God's throne room. And as you can see in verse 6, this is a song directed to a lamb standing as if slain. This is a vision of a slaughtered yet standing Christ. And he is receiving heavenly worship from the angels, notice verse 9, who sing a new song. What a difference three days makes. On Friday, we remembered the horror and agony and brutality of the rugged cross. This morning, we now look to the joy and happiness of praise of an empty tomb. Look at verse 8. This is why the angels are holding harps, an instrument throughout the Old Testament linked to joy and gladness, not sadness. But praise. Think of Psalm 33 too. Sing praises to him with a harp. Psalm 71, 22, I will praise you with a harp. Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to Yahweh and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. With the harp. This is joyful. It's a word filled with thanksgiving. In fact, in Ephesians 5, we see the same word when we're told to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Or Colossians 3, to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And as John pens this vision, he writes all of this in what's called the historical present. What does that mean? It means that John wants us to see these harps being plucked and to hear this chorus being raised as if we're there, as if it's happening right now in front of us. And notice in verse 9, this is called a new song. New, not as opposed to old, but new in the sense of better, different, superior. Look back to chapter 4, verse 8. There's a song of sovereignty that rings out throughout heaven. We're familiar with this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. A song of sovereignty. Sovereignty moves into the song of creation in verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, your creator. And because of your will, they existed and were created. From sovereignty to creation. But now in verse 9 of chapter 5, 
we see a new song, a better song, a superior song. Why? Because this is the new song of redemption. The sovereign one is now praised as savior. The creator is now worshiped as reconciler. This song is about divine love extending to the sinner, a rescuing God, delivering his enemies and promising them a future in an everlasting kingdom. Read the song with me, start in verse nine. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, speaking to the lamb, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you are slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. This is a symphony of Easter praise. I'm going to unpack this in two ways. First of all, we're going to look at the choir. The choir that sings this song. And then second, we will look at the chorus. The choir and then the chorus. Begin with the choir. Verse 8. This is no ordinary choir. This choir consists of the four living creatures and the 24 elders. They have now fallen down in worship before this lamb. You have 28 individuals in total, two groups, four living creatures, 24 elders. And both of these groups were introduced back in chapter four. So turn to four, chapter four, verse two. Chapter four, verse two. And just begin to visualize this scene. John the Apostle writes this. Immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. So we have a supernatural vision. And the Apostle John is allowed to see into the heavenly throne room of God. And what he sees is a room with a giant throne in its center. None other than God the Father himself is sitting on that throne. Verse four, around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. There's one large, gigantic throne in the center here now, 24 smaller thrones surrounding it, all facing that inner throne. And on these smaller thrones are beings. They're described as elders. They're sitting. This indicates their royalty, their exalted position in this heavenly court. They're clothed in white garments. They have golden crowns on their heads, again, symbolizing royal dignity. There's a special status that they possess. As you read through the book of Revelation, you find that these 24 elders make an appearance throughout. Now, there's some options here for what these 20 or who these 24 elders are. There are nine options I'm just going to give you the right option, okay? This is the right one. 
These are, these are angels. These are angels. A special exalted group or college of angels. They're always grouped with the four living creatures who are angels. They're always performing duties only angels can perform. They're offering bowls of incense. In fact, we see that back in chapter 5, verse 8. They're receiving revelation from God. This is 24 members of a special college of angelic beings. They're exalted higher than other angels. In fact, I think these are the throne angels that Paul mentions in his letters. These are angels who have been granted special dignity, a privileged status, a unique seat, a throne, so that they can sit around the throne of God. They're not alone. Look at verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. And before God's throne, the Father's throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures. They encircle the main throne, one on each side of that middle throne. I don't know about you, I'm glad that our choir didn't look like this choir. Four living creatures here, most likely the seraphim, the cherubim, referred to in Isaiah chapter 6. They're the highest order of the angels. They're exalted higher than the 24 elders. Notice their appearance, verse 6. They were full of eyes in front and behind. Eyes cover their entire body. It's a symbol symbol of their alertness, their knowledge. They know what's taking place in front of them. They know who is sitting right in front of them on this throne. If we bring Isaiah 6 into play, these four living creatures and these have these six wings. With two of their wings, they cover their face. This is their awe of God. With two of their wings, they cover their feet. This is their humility next to God. With two of their wings, they flew. This is their readiness to serve God at any moment. Turn to chapter five, notice verse six. Another being appears. And I saw between the throne the four living creatures and the elders between the living creatures and God's throne as close to the Father's throne as you can get. I saw a lamb looking as if slain. So all of a sudden a lamb appears. This is Christ. This is the crucified Christ. 31 times in Revelation, lamb is used for Jesus. And what do these exalted angels do when they see this Christ? They turn their attention from the Father. It almost sounds blasphemous. They turn their attention from the Father, and verse 8, they fell down before the Lamb. Why? Because they recognize the honor due this Lamb. An author has put it this way, their own beauty and excellencies mean nothing to these angels. 
They give no indication of self-infatuation, rather out of reverence. And because of a spirit of deep humility, they direct their adoration to the lamb. They have beauty, but the lamb is more beautiful. They have dignity, but the lamb has more dignity. They take for themselves a worshiping posture which leads then into a worshipful song. They sang a new song while lying on their face. The angels cannot stay quiet. They burst out in a song to this slain but standing lamb. We can draw application from this. We can learn from the angelic choir. These are the angels who see Christ face to face. The angels who have eyes in front and in back who see Christ clearly. They're exalted, they're beautiful, they're privileged. We can learn from them and like them realize that we must never take the cross of Christ for granted. We must never become dull to the gospel's meaning. We must never see Christ as ordinary Never fail to be humbled by this lamb. We can learn from these angels that our highest thoughts of God, our highest thoughts of God, our deepest praises for Christ are always rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Always. Our highest thoughts of Christ are directed to the lamb standing as if slain. That's the choir, the choir of this symphony of Easter praise. Leads into verse nine in the chorus. The chorus of praise that is raised to the lamb. Verse nine, they sang, they sang, they chant with lyrical emotion. This is heartfelt singing. Again, the angels cannot stay quiet. They have a joy for the lamb, an awe of the lamb, a reverence before the lamb. The lamb overwhelms them with emotion. And in unison, they sing out together a song that praises the lamb for three things, his death, his resurrection, and his return. Again, the highest of worship. The greatest song that can be sung is that which puts the death and resurrection looks forward to the return of Jesus Christ. And notice why they are filled with joy. Why this song is the better song, the more superior song of praise. Again, bring application why we too can rejoice this morning as we worship the Lamb. There's seven reasons. Number one, they rejoice and we too can rejoice because Jesus' death was a sacrifice. The angels rejoice. We can rejoice because Jesus' death was a sacrifice. Verse nine, worthy are you. Why? For because you were slain. It's an amazing paradox. From death resounds joy. From sacrifice comes song. 
The word slain here, it's a graphic word, literally translated this way, slaughter, slaughter. It's a gruesome word. It's the word used to describe the cutting of a lamb's throat for sacrifice. And the imagery here points back to the sacrificing better, the cutting of the throat of the Passover lamb back in Exodus chapter 12. That's the image. So think back to that event. God had brought nine plagues upon Egypt. Pharaoh, though, refused to let God's people leave the country. So God brings one more plague, the 10th plague, the death of all the firstborn sons. But for the Jewish people, God makes a provision. If they cut the throw of a lamb and then smear the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of their house, then and only then would God not pass through their house in judgment. He would pass over, pass over their house in mercy. He would see the lamb and allow the lamb to incur the necessary death, not the family's firstborn son. That's what the angels are referring back to in this song. Remembering that Passover, they're applying it now to Jesus. The Passover event was a picture, a foreshadowing of Christ's slaughter on the cross. Every lamb slain before this point, every lamb slain in the Old Testament pointed to Christ's greater slaying. That's why Paul says that Christ is our Passover lamb. And the imagery is so obvious. Just as the lamb was sacrificed in the place of the firstborn son, Christ, God's only son, is sacrificed in the place of sinners. Sinners who deserve nothing less than holy judgment and wrath. This is why you see throughout the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, Jesus goes to the cross as a silent lamb goes to the slaughter. Even in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I will lay down my life. Through sacrifice comes song. And Jesus now is celebrated by the angels in God's throne room as the lamb of God slaughtered. And this is why we celebrate him this morning. Because only he is the full and final Passover lamb of God, sacrificed and slaughtered on behalf of sinners. Only him. He is the one who assuages God's judgment so that his judgment would pass over us. It's only through him that we are spared God's wrath against our sin. Through sacrifice comes song. That's the first reason the angels praise Jesus for his death. It's because his death was sacrificial in our stead, in our place. There's a second reason the angels rejoice, why we too can rejoice. Number two, the angels rejoice because Jesus' death was a purchase. Jesus' death was a purchase. 
Back to verse nine. Worthy are you for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men. Angels celebrate because Christ's cross had merits, purpose, had purchasing power. The word purchase here carries with it the idea of ransoming, of buying back, setting free by paying the right price. It's used in a variety of ways. But most often this term was used in the first century to refer to purchasing a slave out of the slave market. Again, that's the imagery from these angels. Christ is praised because he, by offering himself, purchased sinners from the slave market of sin. He breaks our chains. He sets us free. This is needed. Sinners are slaves to sin, Romans 6. Sinners are slaves to impurity and lawlessness, and thus, sinners are under the sentence of death. We can't free ourselves. Yet Christ's death only, Christ's death on the cross was the acceptable price paid, the necessary ransom to release sinners from their enslaved condition. So why Jesus could say the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to what? To offer himself, to give himself as a ransom, the purchasing price for many. Now it's interesting, at least in some regards about this word, is that when this word purchase is used in extra biblical sources, it always involves a high price paid. Always a high price. It's a costly intervention. It's what we see here. Continue verse nine. This lamb purchased for God with his blood. With his blood. It's a picture of death. It's what Peter says, you are not redeemed, you are not purchased with perishable things like silver or gold. That that doesn't get you there. That doesn't reconcile you. No, you are redeemed with precious, very costly, valuable blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless. Who? The blood of Christ. Highly valuable in the sight of God is the death of Christ. But let me emphasize this. The reason why a sinner's release from the slave market of sin is so costly is not because of the value of the sinner. That's not the reason. It's because of the seriousness of the sin. The seriousness of the sin. It's because of the holiness of God. God is infinitely holy. And thus only Christ, infinitely holy in himself, blameless in his character, the eternal son of God, the most precious and valuable, only he, only he can release us. Only he can pay that payment, that purchasing price to release heinous sinners from their condemnation before a tri-holy God. 
Again, it wasn't our value. It was the seriousness of our sin. It's the second reason the angels praise Jesus for his death. Second reason we rejoice this Easter morning because Jesus' death had merit and purchase, purchasing power. Number three. Number three, the angels rejoice because Jesus' death was a restoration. Jesus' death was a restoration. Worthy are you, for you were slain and purchased. And here's a small phrase. It's key. And purchased for God. For God. The age-old question is this. How can sinful man have fellowship with a holy God? That's the question. It's the most important question out there. It's one thing to be released from a slave market. It's quite another thing to be accepted by a perfect God into his family. How can sinful man have fellowship with a holy God? The question seems unanswerable. Man hates God. God loves righteousness. Man is at war with God. God's justice demands punishment. Where's the hope? How do you solve this dilemma? The angels tell us it's through Christ. Through Christ. Through the slain lamb, sinful man can be restored back to fellowship with God. In fact, notice verse 10. The angels go on, you have made them, all who come to Christ in saving faith, the redeemed here, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to or for or with our God. Priests have access to God. We can have access to God. It's a major change in relationship. It's a restoration for the sinner. Enemies are now allies. Foes are now friends. Sinners are now sons. Slaves to sin are now servants of Yahweh. This is what makes the gospel the greatest news this world has ever heard. It's what makes this a new and superior song. We can have fellowship with our holy creator. Fourth reason. Fourth reason the angels rejoice. Why we too can rejoice. It's because Jesus' death was global. Jesus' death was global. Notice the end of verse nine. Worthy are you, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from, now notice the extent here, the extent of Christ's sacrifice, Purchased men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So the effects of Jesus' death span all parts of the globe. Jesus' gospel is no nationalistic gospel, it's no American gospel. Christ offered himself for people from every tribe, family, clan lineage, every tongue, spoken dialects, 
people, referring to ethnic groups, nations, political persuasions. And notice the every, here, every tribe and tongue and people and nation, Christ's redeeming work makes no distinction between cultures, none. Christ's gospel is a colorblind gospel. If you cannot proclaim the same gospel in whatever country you go to, if you can't proclaim that same gospel, you don't have the true gospel. It transcends culture. It's global. It's the breadth of Christ's redeeming work. And this is necessary. Why? John Piper put it this way. Christ died to save a diversity of peoples. Sin is no respecter of cultures. All peoples have sinned. Every race and culture needs to be reconciled to God. As the disease of sin is global, so the remedy is global. There's no social barrier, no social barrier too great for Christ to overcome by his death. But notice... Though the angels rejoice because Jesus' death was global, the angels also rejoice because Jesus' death was particular, limited. Here's the fifth reason the angels rejoice. They rejoice because Jesus' death was particular. Particular. Notice again what the angels sing at the end of verse nine. You purchase for God with your blood men, and here's a key, Phrase from men out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus' death is global in its scope, but it's not universal. It's not universal. Jesus, according to the angels, did not die for every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He died for men out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation a particular group, limited, limited in its scope. Put it this way, Christ's death is not all-inclusive. Every person in this world is not restored to God. Every person is not reconciled to God. Jesus' death, this song of praise, is not applied to every individual. Now, the death of Christ, his saving work on the cross, his slaughter for sin, his sacrifice that absorbs the wrath of God on behalf of sinners, his death that releases men and women from their enslaved condition is only for a certain group. Who is that group? Those who come to Christ in saving faith, through faith and repentance. This is only for that group who recognize themselves as desperate sinners, unable to save themselves from their sins. And thus they come to Christ, confessing their sins, submitting to Jesus as the Lord, trusting that his substitutionary death alone delivers them and pays their penalty. In fact, that illustration of the Passover lamb shows just this. 
Remember, God required a spotless lamb to be slaughtered. Its blood smeared on the doorframe of the house. Why? So that the firstborn son of that house would be spared God's judgment. In the same way, in the same way, we too must shelter ourselves under the lamb of God. The ultimate Passover lamb. And we who do this, we who accept his sacrificial death as our sole and sufficient and complete payment for our sins, we who then submit our life to Christ as Savior and Lord in faith, trusting in him alone for our salvation, our reconciliation. That blood is applied to us. God passes over in mercy and grants us blessing. The angels rejoice because Christ's sacrifice is particular. There's a sixth reason here. Sixth reason these angels sing a new song of praise to Jesus. Sixth reason we rejoice together this morning. Number six, the angels rejoice because Jesus' death was accepted. Jesus' death was accepted. Look at verse six. The one whom they praised is referred to as a lamb standing as if slain. As if is so key. The angels look. They see the wounds, the deadly wounds on this lamb. But they don't see a lamb crumpled on the floor in a pile of wool. They see a lamb standing. He's alive. He was slain. He was dead. He's resurrected. And he's not just standing, but notice where he's standing. He's standing between the throne. He's glorious. He's right next to God the Father. That is to say, Christ's sacrifice for sin was accepted by the Father. His death secured salvation from sin and reconciliation with God. Christ did not stay on the cross. He did not stay in the grave. He rose from the dead, which was God's way of showing that Christ completely and finally paid the penalty for sin that there was no more wrath of God to endure for Jesus, for those who would be saved. That Jesus' work of redemption was complete. It is finished. Without the resurrection of the lamb, there would be no new song. Without the resurrection, there would be no joyful praise. Without the resurrection, there would be no salvation no forgiveness, no reconciliation, no redemption. Why? A dead savior's no savior. But this savior lives. This lamb stands. So the angels rejoice. They rejoice. Jesus' death was accepted. Which leads to then the final reason here. And this is the culminating reason for the angel's praise. 
Number seven, the angels rejoice because Jesus' death means future victory. Jesus' death means future victory. In fact, this is what actually began this song. Look at verse seven. Verse seven, he, the as if slain lamb, he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That's an amazing statement. This lamb takes something out of the hand of the father. He's glorious. He's divine. But he takes a book. What is the book? The book is the title deed to this earth. The title deed to this earth. And when the lamb will finally open this book, he'll break each of those seals. Look at chapter six. We'll see it. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, when the lamb, lamb opens this book, breaks those seals, he will put into motion the very events that will lead to him ascending to his throne and reigning over this world. This is why the angels praise him. Notice the beginning of the song, verse nine. Worthy are you, praise be to you. Worthy are you to what? To take the book, to take the title deed to this earth and break its seals. The angels know that the lamb's victory is certain. And so they praise him in verse 10. You have made them, all of the redeemed, all for whom Christ died and rose again, those who come to him in saving faith, you have made them to be what? A kingdom. You have made them to be a kingdom and they will reign upon the earth. From looking back to the cross, the angels now look ahead to a throne and a kingdom and the resurrected and glorified Christ with his people will one day reign upon this earth. This is why the angels shout out in chapter 11. We'll see this throughout. The angels shout out in chapter 11. Not just shout, but shout with a loud voice. The kingdom of the world, the sinful kingdom, this evil world system, the kingdom of the world has become what? The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. It's coming. In fact, turn over to Revelation 21 and notice how the book ends. The song, the new song of the angels begins the book. Revelation closes by showing the culmination of that song. It's Revelation 19, start in verse 11. Revelation 19, 11. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. That's Christ. And on his head are many diadems, many crowns. There's only one ruler, one king. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in white, fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. That's us. That's the redeemed. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. It is this king of kings and Lord of lords. There's one king, there's one Lord. 
And then chapter 20, verse four adds this, I saw thrones and believers are reigning with Christ for a thousand years. The angel's new song of redemption in Revelation 5 comes to fruition in chapter 19 and 20. The crucified and resurrected Jesus returns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so Jesus' resurrection was God's assurance on one hand that the Father accepted Christ's sacrifice. That is true, but it's more than that. Jesus' resurrection is also God's assurance that Christ's kingdom will one day be established. It's the guarantee. Let's go back to chapter five. It is no wonder, it is no wonder that this new song of redemption sparks all heaven to break loose in joyful noise. Notice verse 11. From these angelic beings singing praise to the Lamb, 28 of them, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. The number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. You can't count this. And what are they saying with a loud voice? It is this worthy is the Lamb that was slain. They look back to the cross. And then they look ahead to receive what power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, that coming throne. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne, to the Father and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, amen, amen, amen. And the elders once again fall down and worship. What's striking is that this is the angel's song, but they have never received redemption from sin. We have. And so how much more must we, must we who have been saved by Christ's cross, who now celebrate Jesus' resurrection, how much more must we, like these angels, be filled with great joy, joy in the gospel, and bow in humble reverence before this Christ? How much more must we sing this new song of redemption in our hearts, offering our praise to the Lamb who stands in heaven as if slain, who is one day coming back to take his kingdom. Look at verse 12. Indeed, this is our joy. This is our song. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and blessing. Father, we are thankful for this day, this morning. We are thankful for this savior and this king. May you fill us with joy, fill us with praise, cause us to bow in humility before you, fill us with thankfulness that our life would be a life of worship to this lamb, 
that we would decrease. He would increase in everything of who we are and what we do. That the song of redemption would be our daily song unto our Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.